And there's 7 billion people on the planet. Yeah. We can't have 7 billion cars yeah. or 14 billion cars. Like mm -hmm. it's got to stop. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah. how does, how does one, <laughs> how do you deal with that without your head exploding? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean, that's that when you put it that way, mm. I mean, right. it's, <laughs> <laughs> he's just focusing on the words. Um, you are right. That is very scary. <laughs> <laughs> um, Sister Nava. I'm doing good. You're doing, feeling yeah, good? Yeah, I'm really happy. Dude, oh. give us a minute. Oh, we're about to get to you, for <laughs> goodness sakes. It's like I was like this invisible, like. Look, there's a lot I'm, of things. I'm right here, my suit. There's a lot of things that are unusual today. As you notice, we're in a kitchen, but we have mics in the kitchen. Because every yeah. kitchen, every new kitchen sure. has a mic. Yeah, you've got right? a podcast there, mic. Absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. So it's going to be a new thing. Welcome, Ray. Good to see you, man. Hey, Mr. Nice Rain to see Wilson. You. So glad you guys know, you know, I'm an executive producer of this show. Oh, wow. wow. Yeah. So, I should have told you I should have worn the so shirt. So what the <laughs> hell is going on? I'm so sorry. What's dude. going on Look, with the show? She, I mean, it, it's Nava. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. I, I it, I'm not criticized. I'm literally <laughs> asking what's going on with the show. The show is going well, man. We're having yeah? some amazing guests, some incredible conversations that yeah. we are tag teaming me on and managing and learning and uh, participating in. It's been awesome, I mean, dude. We've had some great guests. We have. Really excited to talk to my friend Katie Eider today. Yeah, I yeah. still don't know if it's Eider or Eider. I honestly I, don't know. Or Eder. She yeah, answers Edder. either way. She's so cool. She doesn't care. She's but she, she is so yeah. awesome. And I, I got to do this really cool mini climate change documentary yeah. for Soul Pancake that was yeah. on YouTube mm -hmm. called An Idiot's Guide to Climate Change. Mm -hmm. And she was kind of a regular component of that. I wow. had her at the, on in the beginning and at the end. Mm -hmm. And she really kind of represents the voice of the youth movement of climate change. But it's not just climate change. You think yeah. Sometimes you think about climate change, you think about like, oh, yeah. buy an electric car and mm -hmm. stop eating beef or something yeah. like that. It's, it's social change it's yeah, grassroots yeah, yeah. whole cloth yeah. change of how we do everything and yeah. she's she's incredible i'm so excited yeah. for you guys to meet her dude as i was doing a research and reflecting on her and i was thinking about the importance of 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 community and being engaged in community how communities can serve as like you know um as spaces of nurturing and encouragement they can also be detrimental depending on how they're structured and how they work you know mm. and i was I, mean, I was thinking about like like you, man, and like you know the spaces that you've been in, because mm. you're you know you're moving, you're you're, you're filming here, you're doing TV mm. shows and stuff that you do, and I know that's important work for you, um, but you're also engaged in social mm. justice spaces mm -hmm. and you know making your contribution to transform the world in whatever way that you can, right? You're a trying, little bit. Oh, you're doing a little something here. When and there. I yeah. can fit it in in between TV. <laughs> <and games. laughs> Dude, I was trying to set you up, man. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I was just, you know, like, like, what is your sense of the importance of community? Were there spaces in community that you really felt welcomed? Mm. And also mm. maybe a time or two where you didn't feel, feel welcome. welcome in community mm -hmm. um, mm. that maybe made you appreciate, you know, when you do feel welcome in community? Mm. Yeah, that's, oh, man, that's, that's a deep and a great question. And I don't, I, I'm new to this climate change world. It's yeah. something that for me personally, I really felt really strongly about it, but the only thing that I was doing was sending out an occasional angry tweet. Yeah. Mm. And I realized like I need to do more. And yeah. that was the genesis of this Idiot's Guide to Climate Change mm -hmm. series. And I took a trip to Greenland with some scientists yeah. and got to interview Greta Thunberg wow. and yeah. Katie. Mm -hmm. And uh, she's like the American Greta Thunberg. Yeah. 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 And, yeah, 
And so this is a new community. Now I'm about to leave in a week or so for the, the TED uh, conference mm. on climate in mm -hmm, Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's new to me, but I, I feel like my job, and I think we all share this, is we're storytellers. Yeah, yeah. So we yeah. want to amplify other people's messages. It's yeah. not about me. It's not about what I believe and what I think and my opinion yeah. as much as it is can I amplify yeah. other people's voices, voices that have not been heard mm -hmm. as much. And that is my job, whatever kind of mm -hmm. meager social capital I've yeah. developed from all those years on the office, mm -hmm. I want to put towards telling important stories yeah. and uh, empowering voices, especially voices like Katie's. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I'm gonna make sure Katie's available. Cool. Okay, because okay. she's we caught her in between classes. Cool. Mm -hmm. Okay, please. I'm gonna freshen up a little bit. Good. I'm gonna let you two, yeah. oh, awesome. you know, do your thing, awesome. and I'll meet you on the sofa <laughs> in like in uh, ten minutes. Okay. okay. What do you say? All right. Thanks, All right, guys. Talk thanks, Ryan. Right. See you. Right, bye, bye. <laughs> well, are you ready to do this? Yeah. All right, man. Let's uh, let's go have this conversation with Katie. Well, hey, welcome, Katie Etter. So good to see you. What's going on? Hello, hello. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. You got, man, I'm telling you, you've got like, you know, you've got the, the A team here. I mean, you've got a triple threat here, okay? Rain like embodies all the triplets. <laughs> <laughs> they brought me in. I'm the ringer. He's the ringer. So. He's the ringer. <laughs> so he is our, you know, Rain Wilson, uh, you know, actor extraordinaire, humanitarian, is going to be our co host today. So he's joining us in the studio mm -hmm. for this interview because two was not good enough for you. No. You needed three. Yes. That's right. Understand it's, you dig? It's going to take three hostess <laughs> with the mostest <laughs> right. to bring out this the best in Katie. Mm -hmm. It's so good to see you. Welcome to the show. We are so happy to be with you. Um, so looking forward to getting into a conversation with you because, man, you're someone who is really unique in that you've been engaged in the work that you're doing for so long. I mean, fourth grade. I mean, you talk about being ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm just like... I try to remember what I was doing in fourth grade. Does anybody remember what they were doing in fourth grade? Paper airplanes, that, you that know, spitballs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> lots of spitballs. I, I, I had my fair share of those. You did? Okay, that is good. She's, no, she's multi-talented. She, clearly. Tetherball clearly. was big in fourth grade. Yeah, I remember, remember tetherball. Tether what is tetherball? Yeah. That one kind of hurts. You never played tetherball? I never played. It's the ball on the one pole, and you hit it, and it spins, oops, or oh, spins around. okay. Ding, ding, ding. I do remember that. I didn't yeah. know we called it yeah. tetherball. So yeah. Might be a West Coast thing. Katie, did you do tetherball? Yeah, we had that in the Midwest, too, yeah, for, sure, for sure. Wow, wow, wow. Well, we digress. So <laughs> <laughs> but I'm really interested in kind of um, starting because you've been in, in, engaged in your activism for so long. And let's just like really start from, you know, the beginning. I mean, um, you know, doing some research on you, I came across that Jewish phrase. I'm going to try and get it here, Katie. So be be patient. Tekem olam. Did I say that right? <laughs> Tikkun Olam, very close. Alam. Okay, I, you know, I was working. Did you feel me working? Yes. <laughs> but I love that phrase because it means, from the Torah, of course, and it means to repair the world. Mm -hmm. And it seems like you have been engaged in trying to repair your surroundings, the world, since you were very young. And I'm wondering where that impetus, that kind of desire, what was the catalyst for you um, kind of getting engaged in your activism at such a young age? Mm, yeah, for sure. I mean, I think I, you know, as you said, I, I grew up Jewish. I was very deep, deeply engaged and involved in the Jewish community in Milwaukee, where I'm from. Um, growing up, I went to a Jewish day school for most of my childhood. 
Um, and through that, I think, you know, um, that really taught me a lot of the values around Judaism is, as you said, tikkun olam is to repair the world, this idea that as people, we have a responsibility to help and try to make the world better than we found it. Um, and so that was something that was very much a through line through my childhood. I'm the youngest of five siblings. Um, and so I grew up very much kind of always trying to be a little bit older than um, I was at the time. And so I think that always prompted me to kind of want to um, stick up for others and sort of be responsible, I guess, in the in sort of the actions that I took. Um, in fourth grade, as you mentioned, was when I first had my first uh, kind of, I guess, radicalization moment um, is I was in a gym class where uh, our gym teacher would have the boys and the girls play separately uh, in, 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 in like games and when we played contact sports and things like that. And I thought the boys had more fun. And so I decided to have my class stage a sit-in. Um, we had a little petition that really did have like crayon or colored pencil on it or something like it. that. Oh, and we all great. went to gym one day, sat down on the ground and mm -hmm. said we would not get up until we were all play, allowed to play together. And wow. um, after a while, we he our gym teacher gave in. And, and from that point on at Lake Bluff Elementary, uh, the boys and the girls and people of all gender got to play sports together. So without knowing it, that was very much my first time of really understanding in my own life what it looked like for um, one person and a few people to be able to create some kind of visible change and impact. Mm. Um, and so from there on, I kind of always had a little bit of a rebellious streak in wanting to say, okay, if I don't like something and if something is a certain way, it doesn't mean it has to be that way and I actually have power and agency to, to change it. I love the mm -hmm. confidence that is just oozing because it, it, that confidence is actually a reflection of your capacity. Mm. And I think youth have so much, you know, the millennial, the Gen Z population, we have so much capacity. Mm -hmm. But a lot, of, a lot of what kind of keeps us from moving forward is there is this force or this voice that we hear from the rest of society mm -hmm. that tells us, oh, well, you're just, you're just young. What do you know? Was there ever a point in time in your life where you were made to feel belittled? Like that you are this this young girl. What do you know? Yes, definitely. I mean, it still happens. Just uh, I was telling a colleague earlier this morning that I was put on a thread with a few folks and someone asked if they want if I should bring one of the adults in um, to, to the to the email thread wow. as our conversation was getting a little bit more challenging to figure out. Um, <laughs> So it definitely is very prevalent. I've, I've heard it all, you know, we don't know enough. Um, we are too naive. Uh, we're crisis actors. Um, you know, we've kind of gotten the whole, the whole gamut. And I think from a lot of people, and I think one of the reasons that young people are so uniquely positioned to make change is that we have less resistance mm -hmm. to seeing something be done in a way that's different than it has been done. And for a lot of folks, especially older folks, that can be really scary you know, thinking about change, thinking about going against the grain, changing the status quo, right? That's scary. Any kind of change, any kind of transition is we're, we're literally wired to um, have hesitation and to sort of pull back. And so I think when, when people, especially adults, you know, kind of um, uh, quiet young people or try to minimize what young people are doing, it definitely comes from that place of fear and that place of hesitation and anxiety about the potential and the power of the generation. And so I always try to look at it with that spin and say, you know, I understand where they're coming from and this is a fear-based reaction. Mm -hmm. And so the best thing I can do is be extra prepared, extra ready, extra 
um, studied up and, and, and motivated. And so to really show, you know, yes, we've, we've got this, we can do this. Um, and you can trust us as a generation to kind of carry the torch in this way. Wow, that's so amazing. You know, it's, it's incredible to me because what you're talking about, you know, this notion, this energy of the youth, kind of this fear, right? The response from the older generations. And yet, you know, a lot of your, you know, inspiration I know comes from the ancestors and past generations. I mean, I know you, I'm thinking about, you know, um, Rabbi Heschel was marching with Dr. King. I'm thinking about Mahatma Gandhi. I'm thinking about women, you know, the women in the women's rights movement. Um, so many people that have gone before that, you know, have provided inspiration, I'm sure, for your journey. So this kind of like interrelationship actually between the old and the young, you know, which, which kind of breaks down those false walls and those divisions. There, there's an interdependency there, right? There's the one that's inspiring and, and, and uh, kind of helping to motivate the activism of the young, this young who have the energy and the kind of like expansive vision to take things in a new direction. I know, what do you what do you think about that when you hear people say, well, I just mm. don't want to listen to the, the, the old people, they're just, they're done. Is but, that why I'm here? Am I the old person? Of course, absolutely. <laughs> we didn't want to yes, say you're that. You're rounding right? out our intergenerationality. You know, we did a... Because I'm the middle-aged dude, right? Yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, I'm not going to let on what my age is. Katie. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> we met when you, you see, were a teenager. Oh, my. Oh, that was yes, very wow. that's young. true. That yes. is very true. It was around the September 20th crime strikes in 2019. We were in New York. And we, we walked together and we were able to tell a story and reach an audience in a way that I would never have been able to do independently and Rain would never have been able to do independently. And even that just shows the power of what intergenerational conversation yeah. and collaboration can look like. Mm -hmm. And that's very much the orientation that I take and that the Future Coalition team, the group that I work with, we take is that youth-led doesn't mean youth only. It means that youth are at the front and we need everyone of every generation to follow behind us. Um, and we, we say we're at the front, but, and you know, like we obviously are building off of the work that so many have done, especially in the climate movement, indigenous people and indigenous leaders and the work they've been doing for generations and for centuries and stewarding the land and advocating for the planet. Mm -hmm. And that is the work that we're continuing. We're carrying that torch forward. Mm -hmm. We cannot do it alone. You know, young people bring a certain unique perspective and style of leadership and orientation mm -hmm. that is critical to social movements that we've seen throughout history that young people, when they're at the forefront, they are the catalysts of change, you know, as the social movements you just listed off, you know, the civil rights movement mm -hmm. led by 21 year olds, yeah. um, you know, and so many others through around the world. It's really young people that have been that catalyzer, mm -hmm. but also in all these successful social movements, there are adults of all generation that play an absolutely critical part mm -hmm. because young people, we bring that passion, we bring that energy, we yeah. bring the new ideas, the yeah. new outlook, but we are very fresh where, you know, there's a lot of, I like to say, quote, common sense things that young people don't always know. It's as simple and, you know, especially in the system that we live in now, as complicated and layered as it is, everything from how to write an email to how to make a budget yeah. to, um, you know, experience planning a coordinated national day of action and what are the missteps. That experience brings a ton of value. It's absolutely critical to making sure we don't reinvent the wheel. It's really when these two sides these two kind of differing views differing skill sets can come together and really create power and that's we see it intergenerationally and that's why it's so critical to work intersectionally as well because the more perspectives the more um foundations of knowledge that can come together in collaboration the stronger the end product is going to be and the greater the narrative's ability to reach many different people in many different ways that's just going to get 
it's going to become more and more effective the more voices that you have writing the story to begin with. I love that. Wow. That's yeah. great. Yeah. Hey, uh, I got a question. Can I ask a question? Yes, yeah. Please. Am I allowed? Yeah. You get no, two. Please. You get two. You I don't know two. if I'm a guest or if I'm an interviewer. You I get really two. Don't know. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> you know, um, there are so many obstacles uh, toward to anyone getting involved in activism, and by activism, I don't necessarily mean politics or something having to do with partisanship, but whatever kind of issue turns you on you know whatever whatever that is it can be kitten rescue you know it really it really doesn't matter but making a positive impact in the world searching for more you know more justice more unity uh etc there's so many obstacles so there's you know there's materialism there's kind of partisan bickering there's this mental health epidemic with young people that is just uh through the roof there's kind of a there's a pall of cynicism that's kind of fallen over the world and like, oh, what, you know, what the hell? It's all screwed anyway. Mm. You hear that more and more from, you're talking about the idealism of young people, but unfortunately in working with a lot of young people, I do also hear from a lot of young people, what's the point, mm. you know? So what do you think is the biggest obstacle and what do you think is the way to overcome that obstacle? If I'm, mm. if I'm listening right now and I'm, I'm the, I'm the, portly middle-aged man they they dragged in here to provide a little levity and perspective but you know if if i'm a teenager or a college student or someone in my 20s kind of listening and i'm interested in the world of activism what's my barrier and what's what's the way through that barrier mm, that's a really great question i think the you know especially in organizing on the climate crisis we it you know the climate crisis in it of itself is a exceptionally complex and overwhelming issue you know it is an existential threat to humanity like yeah. there's no bigger scary anxiety inducing thing that one could could come up with but to add on to that and to make it even more kind of like oh my god like this is really overwhelming um we have this duality of needing to address the climate crisis and the urgency around the climate crisis in this moment and the reality and needing to address the reality that the systems, the political and social systems, which should allow us to address this existential threat to humanity are fundamentally really broken. And we need to address these complex systems in our society, um, whether, you know, that, that come from the fact that our country and our society and, and the modern day, you know, society that we all exist in was built on white supremacy and was built on patriarchy. So that in of itself, right? We have this duality of this climate crisis, this huge, urgent, pressing problem, and the reality that I think so many people, especially young people, are grappling with, which is I am a single person in a system that is failing in so many ways. And how do you even begin to address any part of that? And it's really overwhelming. And I think it's really important that people know that it is overwhelming and it's overwhelming to all of us. Um, you know, I, I, I myself and, you know, the people that I work with, we talk about it often and we spend a lot of time thinking about it and are allowing ourselves to process, you know, where do we put our energy? Where do we put our time? And I think that the best answer that I can give, which I, I, I you know, it's, I think it so much depends on your circumstance and making sure that First and foremost, you're taking care of yourself and you're making sure that 
you know, in your own life, you are able to rest and you are able to experience joy because those are the things in the end that are going to counter this big, bad system that we have is that we need to give ourselves grace in, in sort of the, the pathway that we have. And then I think it, it, the, the two things I would say is education is you yourself taking the time to learn and unlearn and really, you know, whether that be books, whether that be podcasts, webinars, um, there's so many ways to access information and you don't all have to do it all at once. Man, I love a, a good webinar. A week. <laughs> yeah. I love a good <laughs> webinar. Like you got to hook me up with the good webinars. I'm like, yeah. anytime I hear like, Hey, there's a webinar. I'm like, we, we I'm there. There are none. <laughs> I drop what I'm doing. Sorry, I'm just, I'm teasing okay. you, Katie. Sorry. Okay, fine. Take webinar off. <laughs> They're really awesome. Plug for the webinars. Fossilfreefuture.org. Go to it. Um, okay, anyway. Um, I think education, especially, you know, in this day and age, it's, there's so much that you need to educate yourself on. If you're here about the climate crisis, it means that you should care about the systems that created the climate crisis in the first place. And that means you have to do the work to unlearn the white supremacy as much as you can. That is um, weaved into your being and your growth as a person. Counter the, you know, the patriarchy and the misogyny that you see in your everyday life. So education is first and foremost. I think that's something that is fairly accessible to folks. You know, if, no matter sort of the time that you have, you can find a little bit of time to do some of that education. And then I think it's figure out what you care about and figure out what you're good at. And that can be good at in any way. Maybe you are good at drawing. Maybe you're good at driving a car, um, cooking, um, graphic design, writing emails, looking at spreadsheets. Like no matter what you are good at, there's a role in some kind of movement mm. and some kind of group mm. for you. Mm -hmm. And I think what people often, you know, most people, when they hear social movement, when they see, when they hear, you know, the climate justice movement or climate justice organizing, they're thinking about these giant days of action that we have and mobilize millions of people in the street. But the truth is that is a very small percentage of what we do. And that's not actually what builds the power. Mm -hmm. And so if you want to be part of that power building and part of the actual movement means that and every other day that's not that giant mobilization day, that's when we really need you to be engaged and working. And I think the best way to start is getting involved in a local group near you. Because the truth is the grassroots, that's where the change is gonna happen. And so if you look, you know, look in your community, who's organizing, who's doing really cool work, and go to a meeting, go to an event, you know, show up and say, how can I help? What can I do? And they will give you an answer because all local groups, we need help. They need help. Um, and so there's a space and a place for everybody. And it's just taking that first step, showing up, listening. If you're not ready to act, just listen and learn and absorb. And then start to ask yourself, okay, what, what am I good at? What do I like to do? And how can I, how can I give that and lend that to the movement in some way? Katie, that's so brilliant and really inspiring. And, and yeah. I get so much out of that myself mm -hmm. hearing you. Mm -hmm. um, but you, you talked about these two aspects of climate crisis. Mm -hmm. And there's, there's one other, it's kind of tangentially connected to the broken system you're talking about. But I, I just always need to put it out there, which is like the deeper you dig into climate, mm -hmm. the more you realize like it's, it's not just a matter of curtailing CO2 and methane emissions, right? It goes so much deeper than that, but as you as you dig deeper and deeper, yeah. it's like how we do everything as a species on this planet is called into question. So you talk about yeah. broken systems. Yeah. yeah, we have a racist system, and mm -hmm. it's a 
patriarchal system and it's, you know, it's a broken political system. It's corrupt and flush with money, et cetera. There's the have and the have nots. There's economic injustice. But what about the entire way that we think like the earth is this like infinite resource? We pull these nutrients out of the earth. We, you know, we grow that food as cheaply as possible, as many mm -hmm. pesticides yeah. as possible. We, we dump stuff, we sell it, you know, you, uh, you, you grow asparagus in Peru and then you ship it all over the world and your, your asparagus mm -hmm. you're eating in Portugal was flown across the Atlantic, like the carbon footprint, but just how we do everything. It's, it's so daunting. I, I, don't, I don't really have a, a point, but I was just, that's what always just blows my mind and yeah, it, feels, yeah. it feels so daunting to me. Like, yeah. how are we gonna change mm -hmm. everything? You go out mm -hmm. on the freeway and there's, yeah. there's a billion cars in front of you, like well, we can't, this can't sustain. There's seven billion people on the planet. Yeah. We can't have seven billion cars yeah. or fourteen billion cars. Like mm -hmm. it's got to stop. Mm -hmm. um, so, yeah. how does how does one <laughs> how do you deal with that without your head exploding? Mm. Mm. Yeah, I mean that's that when you put it that way. Mm. I mean, right. it's, <laughs> <laughs> he's just focusing on the words. Um, you are right. That is very scary. <laughs> um, that I think is, is what, it, I mean, that's why this is so overwhelming. And I think also that's why I think one of the big reasons, aside from the whole like corruption and, and, you know, role of the fossil fuel industry and pouring billions of dollars into, you know, controlling governments and corporate leaders, aside from all that, I think that this feeling of, oh my gosh, this is so big. What, how do we even start is one of the reasons we haven't seen action on the government or you know, corporate level to the to the scale that we we need, because we know we need an entire economic overhaul. We know we need an entire change to how you know our energy grid exists and functions, and that is going to take time. It's going to take a lot of money. Um, but I think what we need to look at, and instead of focusing on this, oh my God, there's so much to do, and there's so much we need to change. Instead of looking at, at this like a feeling of weight and feeling of this is so heavy to carry, trying as much as we can to reframe that to this is an opportunity. The climate crisis presents an opportunity for us to fix that systematic issue that I was talking about before, right? We can actually use the climate crisis and the recovery that is necessary to avoid the worst impacts of the climate catastrophe to address these deeply ingrained system changes because it allows us a narrative and a focal point in order to rebuild and rethink a lot of these different systems. And so I think as overwhelming as it is, you know, it is possible. We have the ability to do it, right? The um, ideas, the plans, the infrastructure, well, not quite yet, but the idea for the infrastructure is all there. We just need the political will to do it. You know, I think we saw over around COVID as poorly as many people did respond to the COVID crisis. We saw what it looked like back in early days, like March, 2020, within a matter of a week, right? Every conference you were gonna go to, every meeting you had, every trip you had, everything shifted. And it was really overwhelming, emotional whiplash. That's how I explained it. I was like, whoa, what's going on? Yeah, for sure. But we did it, <laughs> we shifted, you know, as an entire global society, we all reoriented ourselves. Yeah. You know, we did it kind of clunkily, mm -hmm. but we got there. Mm -hmm. Maybe <laughs> some more than others. We can look at New Zealand. They, they got there mm -hmm. um, faster than us. We did. We have, you know, anyways, mm -hmm. all to say is when we decide 
we will have the will to do this, yeah. we'll be able to do it. We've got the money, we've got the brains, we've got the energy and the people power to do it. And we have the know-how to maybe do it in a way that's better than how our society was formed in the first place. Yeah. To put the people most impacted at the center, at the front, and have them lead us the, that, that, the way so that we can stop putting the wealthy and the powerful at the center mm. and instead mm. put at the center the most marginalized and the most impacted. Mm. And if we're able to do that, if we're able to decide to do it, we'll do it. Yeah. We can do incredible things we just have to make that decision we have to flip the switch and say we're going to do it we're going to put these 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 we're going to make these actions happen mm, love that wow. i love it this yep. is she's a woman a, dynamo. With a, a woman with a plan a dynamo you know and i, I think because you're talking about the all these steps and i think if i were to ask somebody for a blueprint i'd go and ask katie i go what do we have to do and she's got this plan laid out right. what internally has to happen within mm. people because, you know, you can have a plan laid out and you can say, well, these are the policies we need to put in. Mm. But it seems to me when we have these conversations mm -hmm. about mm -hmm. racial injustice, about the climate crisis, mm -hmm. about, you know, the inequalities between men and women, mm -hmm. what is at the root of this mm -hmm. is something just so fundamentally just almost spiritual, mm -hmm. lacking mm -hmm. in that we don't see how we are all connected. How do we get to that place internally? Hmm. I think first I'll say that there's this tension that exists. And I think over the last few years in the climate movement, we've seen it bubble up as, as, a, as a really important thread of narrative. And it's a tension between individual action and individual change mm -hmm. and systemic societal change. Mm -hmm. um, and where it originates is this, you know, idea that if we carpool, if we use, don't use plastic straws, if we recycle that, we'll be able to avoid the impacts of climate catastrophe. We'll be able to decrease the total global emissions or the global the emissions in the United States. And that is a false narrative, right? Mm. That is a narrative that literally was written by the fossil fuel industry, was written by the people who are profiting off the climate crisis. The fossil fuel industry has poured billions of dollars since the 1970s in creating the narrative around um, how we understand and believe what understand climate change that we even call it climate change you know they've controlled how we think about it and how we react to it and that is that makes it so our belief of i need it is my fault and it is what i need to do yeah. i need to change i need to stop doing this or start doing that that is not true and i think part of it is we need to take that responsibility off the shoulders of the individuals and say you are better off putting your time and energy toward that collective movement mm -hmm. than you are stressing about, mm -hmm. you know, exactly the drops of water that you're using in your own home. Mm -hmm. Now, that being said, we are not excused from our own individual change and orientation toward the problem. It is not our responsibility that, or it is not our fault that this has happened. It is our responsibility to ask what parts of that narrative and what parts of the culture that we exist in are perpetuating those same problems that we are seeing at that macro scale mm. from the fossil fuel mm. industry and sort of these other bad actors. That is, in our own life, how are we abusing the earth? How are we abusing other people around us? And what can we do to help change the culture around how we treat each other and how we treat the earth because at the end of the day it's going to take a people-powered movement to put pressure on 
those in power to make a change. Yeah. But then at some point down the line, the people who are part of the movement are going to be in those seats of power. And so if we haven't fundamentally transformed the way that we act and we relate to each other and to the planet, we're going to just end up in a same or similar problem down the line. And so this, this, there's this part of taking the responsibility off of yourself of saying, it's, I'm not going to be able to fix this on my own. And it is necessary for me to be a part of the change, both through the collective and the individual, in order to see the cultural shift that will allow us to not repeat this again and again. And one way that I like to talk about it, um, which actually comes from my mom, so I'll just credit her with that, is um, she says, if we want to make transformational change, we have to do it in a transformational way. That it's not enough to say, we're demanding system change. We're demanding leadership that looks more diverse or that is including more perspectives. You know, we're demanding a revolutionary agenda. We can't expect to see those things, see those wins, if the way that we are organizing, if the way we are living our lives isn't transformational in and of itself. And so there, we have to sort of grapple with, we need to be part of the collective and understand that we can't on our own change the system that we are in. Um, you know, if you have to fly somewhere and you're beating yourself up over that, to an extent, it's like, yes, of course, how can you reduce your own carbon footprint? Mm -hmm. But also understanding that the system of transportation that exists in the country is not up to you and yourself to fix. You know, there aren't other methods of transportation. You can't take a um, clean energy powered train, you know? And so there's sort of this push and pull of when you know, okay, I need to make the change and when you know, okay, I need to pressure the system to do it. And it's this fine balance. But again, I will say transformational change, we need to do it in a transformational way. Mm -hmm. And so I think grappling with that question and asking how in your own life you can be transformational and how you act towards others in the planet is a really great place to start. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the conversation, when we talked about kind of how you got engaged in doing this work and you talked about, you know, your Jewish faith as kind of being like a framework um, for activism in a way as being, um, you know, part of that process of developing that kind of like inner like sense of community and collectivity with one another. And, um, and at the same time, also thinking about how human beings are so freaking hard headed, man. I mean, it's like so difficult for us to, it's like we gotta go, you know, the long way around the barn to get the lesson, right? And um, I'm just wondering, like, thinking about the part that, 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 like, having a set of beliefs, whatever those are, however those manifest themselves, but something that has been proven over time to be um, life-affirming, right, and not life-denying. What kind of uh, part do you think that plays in helping to develop a kind of framework that helps us to have that internal transformation that allows us to act in ways with a collective kind of mindset? That's a fantastic question. I love that question. Um, I'll say first that I think like, and I'll say this because I know I, I'm even, I'm, I'm in my first week of classes now. And so I'm meeting a lot of new people and talking about a lot of things that you talk about in college, um, which is I'm just in college for the first time now. So getting to have all those college like conversations and I'm, I'm talking about religion with a lot of people because, um, you know, I, that often comes up early on in conversations when I'm explaining kind of where I grew up and how I grew up. Um, and I relate to a lot of young people in, or like, I think a lot of young people relate to the fact, and I do too, that 
like religion, I think our generation really has a complicated relationship with religion, regardless of sort of the faith that you practice. Um, you know, because of social media, because of the accessibility of information, how you know, whatever you want to sort of claim its why. I think a lot of our generation is really grappling, especially on people that grew up deep in faith, like I did, like really grappling with religion and the role it plays in, you know, I'll just speak for myself, the role it plays in my life and you know, what do I like about it and what do I not like about it? And that's very complicated. And I think for me, it adds this other layer of complication of when talking about social movements, like a lot of what we want to try to do um, is similar to what religion does. Um, there's a great professor at John Hopkins named Hari Han. She's amazing. Um, and she, one of the, she studies activism and social movements and the effectiveness of social movements. And one of the sort of most famous research pieces of research that she has is that she studied mega churches, you know, these churches that turn out every Sunday, thousands of people. And she looked at mega churches and tried to break down and understand how they retained so many people and how they engaged so many people, you know, week after week. And the biggest thing that they saw throughout that was a sense of community mm -hmm. and a sense of connectedness. Yeah. You know, even people coming who didn't have faith, that's not why they were coming. They were not coming because of a shared belief. They're becoming coming back because of that sense of community. And it was a sense of community that even though it was a thousand person mega church, you know, was in these small pockets, right? In these sort of like little groups that people felt they had relationships with, they had trusted, and they had community with. And so as complicated as the values of religion are and, and the teachings and, and, and just the orientation of life that it gives you and, and the, and the uh, restrictions of life that it, can, that it can kind of have on you, I think one of the things that I've learned through religion, and it's not only until I'm older and kind of understand these problems around organizing that I've connected, that religion is, I think, the place where I've learned this, is this sense of community and how to facilitate and foster the sense of community. I think, and I think, I think uh, that Katie, let me pause you just for a second. Rain had an yeah. interjection. I don't want to lose this point. So no, 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 Ray? Katie. I'm just, I'm sorry. <laughs> this is tricky over the zoom. I didn't mean to interrupt, but I love that you referenced yourself as like, now it's something I've learned as I'm older <laughs> at the age of 21. Yes. You have gained a valuable perspective. Uh, so, so sorry as the resident, <laughs> old man on the couch yeah. like please i just needed to point that out please no. continue no. go ahead Kate. we're sorry go ahead please pick up where you no 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 that was, that was great <laughs> in my elderly age right yes 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 um um yes i i have learned that about community and that i think that when we talk about values of organizing and we talk about values of bringing people together it's that sense of community and so for people interested to go back to rain's question for people interested in getting involved, trying to find a community and relationships with people that can keep you there and can help sort out the fact that this is a really overwhelming problem. You know, people to talk to, people to celebrate exciting things with and kind of confer when things are challenging. That to me is just so important in just your sustainability as a person, as an organizer, and in our collective ability to make change at scale is we need to create community in the spaces that we are trying to, that are trying to catalyze. But another thing that faith provides is not just community, because yeah. you can have community at a bingo hall, mm -hmm. but a, a community that is in service to something higher, mm -hmm. to something yeah. greater. So yeah. there is a, there's a sense of, there's a, that gives it a propulsion, yeah. you know, I'm, I'm part of this community and we're seeking mm -hmm. something more, whatever mm -hmm. that is. Mm -hmm. And I think, in, in the right periods of time yeah. in activism that mm -hmm. has been struck. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I think Greta Thunberg has hit some of that mm -hmm. with, 
you know, what, with what she's doing, um, and the activism that that you're working on and the civil rights movement Mm -hmm. of like, yes, it's community and it's community for something greater. Yeah. 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 That's such a great point. I think it's interesting because I think it, if either one of those two pieces are missing, it becomes more difficult for people to stay in community. Mm -hmm. So it's like, Mm. it's like we have to have, there has to be the kind of like, it seems to me anyway, right? This framework, right? These teachings, right? To kind of propel us to something better. But then there also needs to be at its, at its base, there needs to be a deep seated sense of love and fellowship because people aren't gonna, I mean, I'm not gonna stick around, man, if I don't feel like, you know, if I'm not feeling some love, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't know about you guys, but I don't think any of us would really stick around for a long time if we didn't feel some love. So, um, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, the two of those things, I think, you know, kind of work together. I don't know. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think definitely. I think this sense of that you're part of something bigger than yourself yeah, and the sense yeah. of purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk, we say a lot that organizing is the antidote to feeling like you, you know, this overwhelming, like existential feeling, you know, organizing kind of helps you to feel like you're doing something and that you have a purpose and that you're not just another kind of cog in the wheel of the problem that you're actually trying to like, I don't know, try to see where I go with this metaphor, push the wheel in the other direction. Um, And I think that 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 is so true that, you know, community without that purpose and that without that sense of like strategicness, Mm -hmm. frankly, Mm -hmm. um, it's, 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 it, 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 in and of itself, it might be a good experience to be part of, but it's not sort of it's not sort of contributing to that broader sense of collective and that broader sense of like, this is everyone everywhere. Um, and so I think when we're building a social movement and uh, I'll bring up another, we we call them the, there's a, the, the rock star researchers um, who are all the academics that research social movements and then communicate them in a way we, we understand it. Um, Erica Chenoweth, who is at Harvard, she talks about this idea of 3.5% of the population. This is a big number in the kind of climate movement space. She says, when 3.5% of any population or community is actively participating in protest, mm. that is when we start to see real change and we start to see real visible change. And that is, you know, 3.5%, it's an achievable number, but it's still really, really large. Mm-hmm. And so as much as these pockets of community in and of itself are really important and effective part piece of the puzzle, in order to get that 3.5%, they have to be something part of something bigger, right? They have to be communicating with each other and moving in a direction that is strategic. And so I, I very much agree. I think, you know, we, it is community it's finding your community. And then it's also figuring out together with your community, what's your shared purpose and why are you there and where do you want to go? And what is the vision of the future that you want to see? And I think when you can align on those pieces, that community goes to another level and it becomes so much more powerful because now it's not just a community of individuals, it's a collective and it's a collective that can together take their shared power and move in a direction that's actually going to going to see results and see change. You know, Katie, as you're talking, you know, this work is it's it's an it's exhausting. And I and I and I think I'd love to just ask you, what is your greatest pain in this process, in this journey that you've had? Mm. Mm, greatest pain. That's, that's a good one. Um I think for me, you know, I've definitely had a, you know, when I graduated, so let's see, I am 21 now, I am a sophomore in college, and I graduated high school in 2018, and I took two years off, and then the pandemic happened, so I, I like to clump it all into three years, I had one shared gap, 
large gap year in those three years, even though for some of it, I was on in school online. Um, but also say is during that time, I think I had a really, really big learning curve in how to take care of myself and like, what was, what is effective and sustainable to put into the work that I'm doing? Because I definitely, you know, I, I moved out from Milwaukee to Los Angeles when I was 18 in August of 2018, expecting to stay for three months. I stayed for three years. Um, and I definitely came out with this sense of, you know, I am young and I am invincible and I can work all day and not sleep very much and not take very good care of myself. And, you know, I will, and like, that will be fine and I'll be sustainable. You know, people talk about burnout and they talk about, you know, work-life balance and all those things, but like, I don't, I'm, I'm fine. I'm all good. Um, and I think that was not, that was just not the case. Um, and I learned that the hard way. <laughs> um, and it, you know, eventually really caught up to me. And for me, it really manifested in anxiety. And I was experiencing this like really severe anxiety and, and having panic attacks. And yeah. that was like something I had never experienced before, but also I was alone out, you know, out alone, independent in LA. And so I didn't understand at the time that like, that wasn't actually a healthy way to cope with things. And like, not everyone was experiencing that on a daily level and on a day-to-day -day basis. And I just like had no idea that that was not like nor quote unquote normal. Yeah. Um, and I think that that's ex an experience of a lot of young people, especially mm -hmm. young people who are dealing with any kind of social injustice um, or, you know, social organizing issue is that we're dealing with these really big things and we're in spaces with a lot of adults who don't spend time with young people. And so um, it can be very, I guess, pushes you to grow up faster mm -hmm. than than you than you kind of maybe otherwise would um and i you know i say all of this and also say i i feel incredibly privileged to be able to have been able to do that in the first place and um to have you know had been able to sort of build in the way that i did throughout that time and have resources and have access to people and 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 places that allowed me to kind of have this realization of okay this is not healthy and mm -hmm. i need to do something about that um, and I think that that for me, like when I look back at my gap year and before I went to school, I was doing a lot of like reflecting and thinking of just like, what are the biggest things I've learned? And like, as much as I've learned as an organizer, like what I see as the kind of arc of that time was really learning how to deal with my anxiety and learning how to deal with my mental health and take care of myself. Because, you know, now I am, um, hopefully doing like just as effective as I was back then, but I feel so much better on a day-to-day -day basis. And I, my work, as important as it is to me, it does not control me and it does not dictate, you know, all of my emotions. And, you know, that came from therapy, that came from meditation, that came mm -hmm. from, you know, learning to take breaks, learning to dance and feel free and all of those things. And I think, you know, those skills have been one of the greatest gifts almost that organizing has given me because it sort of forced me very early on in life to learn these things and now, as I'm navigating school and work, as overwhelming as it is and as stressful as it is, I feel very grounded in that. Like mm. I know that I'm going to prioritize my well-being. Yeah. And you know, you, you you when you're on an airplane, you just put your own oxygen mask on before somebody else's. Right. Yeah. And so that's just such an important. I was going to use that, that analogy. That my mom uses that analogy. Damn you, Katie! <laughs> I was going to use the airplane Darn. oxygen analogy. I thought I would look so now. smart. It would make me look so smart. <laughs> and then you just jumped in there and grabbed it. He's been working on that Sorry. for the whole week. I'm Every telling you. Every time I exhaust myself, my mom goes, "Never remember yeah. when you're on an aeroplane and the oxygen mask drops. Yeah. First, you have to put it for yourself. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every time. But th- I mean, I think it's, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I totally identify with what she's saying because yeah. I, I think it's like, you know, it's something that we have to learn, man. I mean, it's like when we're younger, you know, like, I mean, I'm thinking about all the energy that I, the frenetic energy I had just to do something. <laughs> I mean, I wasn't doing the kind of thing she was doing, but just to do something. Yeah. And then I was doing a lot of little somethings. And I just had to learn that, okay, I, I don't have an endless supply of resources. I had to learn to honor mm. my tank, you know, and, yeah. and recognize when it was like, you know, three quarters full, half full, quarter tank. Yeah. So, um, I, I, yeah, I, I just really value that is learning to take care of ourselves and not to think that it's a selfish thing right right like yeah. it's not it, it's we take care of ourselves so that we have something to give back is, mm-hmm. is the way that i see it mm-hmm. but i think we're socialized in many of our circles to think that it's a selfish thing but in actuality it's it's not it's actually interrelated to the giving the giving back is the giving to oneself is part of the giving back i, mm-hmm. I don't know it's yeah well because the giving back also nurtures yourself yeah, yeah. so it recharges your battery yeah. so it it's a false analogy. It's yeah. a false narrative, yeah, as, as yeah. Katie would like to say, of like, mm-hmm. I'm going to do self-care and then I'm going to do this work and then I'm going to go back mm-hmm. and do self-care. Like, right. yeah. you do self-care so you can do the work mm-hmm. and yeah. the work feeds you and you do more self-care. Yeah, you do more work yeah. and that feeds you yeah. and so that you have more energy to do the work and that gives back to you. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But I think a lot of the... I think the... Because I, I do have some problems with self-care, especially people in in like my industry in LA is like, yeah, right, right. I'm so stressed out <laughs> and the tennis club has been so busy. I, I couldn't get a court people. I don't know and my <laughs> facial was canceled. And so I just needed to practice self-care. Right. Yeah, it's yeah. Like, yeah. no, we, yeah. Yeah. like you said, it's, yeah. uh, we take care of ourselves so we can help take care of others. Yeah, and totally. and that, that creates a, totally. a cycle. Yeah. yeah, and I think Katie kind of hit it on the spot. I mean, I was watching a documentary. He was happy. He yeah. was, was looking oh, at yeah. different societies uh-huh. um, you know, that were the happiest. Mm-hmm. And, and the society that was the most happiest was, was one that focused on the collective. Yeah. It's this mm. idea of moving away from the individualistic mm-hmm. you know, yeah. culture that we grew up with yeah. um, in this Western world mm-hmm. and moving back to mm-hmm. this community-driven life yeah. where they found that their health mm-hmm. and their happiness was so much more better off because they were serving. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're acting in that spirit of service. Like yeah. most indigenous communities yeah. have been yeah, doing for 100,000 yes, years. Exactly. Definitely. But don't you guys think it's like a, it's a balance? I think it's like a tricky balance. It's like, mm-hmm. because I think on the one hand, I, yeah, I, I mean, I, I that the interconnectedness between the giving, the giving of oneself to the, to the collective and you get something in return. But I also think sometimes people operate from a, from a place of deprivation mm-hmm. and they're giving so much, mm-hmm. right? But the giving is not, it's not really selfless. It's weird. It's like the giving is not fully selfless in a way. It is mm-hmm. selfish in a way. Mm-hmm. And they're depriving themselves and they're feeling guilty whenever they spend time taking a break or tending to themselves. Not going to get the facials or the nails done or any of that. I'm not talking about that. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, just taking a break and like, and, and replenishing, meditating, praying, whatever you need to do, you know, um, running. Mm-hmm. So, I, yeah, I just, I, it's a balance, I, I, I think. Um, and one that I that yeah. that I don't know if any of us always hit perfectly. We're, we're striving mm-hmm. to hit it, but um, I don't know. I see people giving sometimes out of a kind of dep- deprivation, and and they're not giving joyfully. Mm. They're giving out of duty, out of responsibility. And I'm not saying there's not responsibility in giving. There is, but there should be a sense of joy in the giving. I think. Mm-hmm. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. Katie. Yeah. You work in climate <laughs> activism. What is, what is your hope for your generation 
yeah. over the next five years? What do, we, what do you want to see mm. happen? We do the small questions here, as you can tell, Katie. So these are all small <laughs> yes. questions. So, yeah. Okay. Future of my generation. Right. Looking to kick the ball. Okay. And um, you've got uh, you've got one minute and seventeen seconds. There you go. Absolutely. <laughs> Starting now. All right. Now. Here we go. <laughs> um, well, first I'll say, just to say, to sort of wrap up this last conversation of pieces, I'll say I think that part of the whole idea of we need to change the system is really analyzing and interrogating what parts of the system have we so internalized that we don't even realize it. And part of it is exactly this phenomenon that we're talking about, that if you're not working, you feel guilty. Mm -hmm. You ought to work all of the time. Yeah. That is yeah. a, you know, I'm hesitating to say it, but it's, it's that's capitalism. Yeah, that uh, is this sense deep. of we need that's to deep. work and work and work, and our success is tied to our work, and mm. we need to work to make the money mm -hmm. to you know be happy, and that is what we're trying to counter. We're trying to say we should stop putting the money at the center of everything that we're doing yeah. and start putting the humanity in the mm. people. Oh, and if yeah. we can put our own humanity in the center of what we're doing. Mm. We're going to start again, not that transformational how, doing the thing in the transformational way. So it's transformative to say, I'm putting myself at the center and I'm making sure I'm okay. Um, and so for my, the hope for the generation to go into that question, I think that that's exactly, I think that leads into it perfectly is that my hope for my generation is, you know, in the next five years, in the next 10 years, before this 2030 number that we all keep talking about, of this sort of this point that we're going to hit where, where, where we're going to, where it's irreversible, where climate change, we're not going to be able to avoid, avoid this catastrophic effects. You know, from now till then, till 2030, over the next eight years, um, our young, our generation is still going to be quite young. And so we still have this responsibility of, being that catalyzer, being that in instigator, being the people who make that good trouble, as John Lewis says, you know, being the, the that, yeah, that, that, that push for change. And so my hope is, is that our generation finds within themselves the way to channel the trauma and the pain and the anxiety and the grief and that negative overwhelming feeling into pushing as hard as we can on the adults in the world to do what they uniquely can do. And that is create systemic change on the, in the public and in, in public space and governments and in the private space in boardrooms and corporations. Um, and so I think in the immediate, that's my hope is that our generation is able to come together and, and really see our generational identity as, as a, as one of those things that can provide us community and give us community and give us purpose, shared purpose to, to really demand and make noise. Mm. And then in the long run, I hope that, you know, the young people that are on the forefront of the social movements today and the young people that are attending the protests and young people who are not and who are choosing to stay silent. You know, these are the young people that are going to be the future leaders. They're going to be those future government people sitting in the, you know, in the government buildings, in the corporate offices. We are the people that will be tomorrow's leaders. And so it's just as important for us to promise to ourselves and hold each other accountable to not repeating these same uh, cycles of oppression that for so many generations, we have seen our parents and our grandparents do. Mm -hmm. um, and again, one person, one small group of people, we can't do that. It's going to take all of us. It's going to take a large number of us, three and a half, three and a half percent of the population, perhaps, um, for us to really start to, to, to make these changes, to make these system changes. Um, because if we're able to, if we're able as a generation to keep this sense of 
you know, centering the people, mm. keep that and hold that and, 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 and champion that throughout our lives. Once we become, and we are put in the positions of power, mm. we'll be able to once again, carry that torch and bring it even farther yeah. and do even more for the generations to come after us. Mm. And just as we're calling and begging and asking and demanding the generations ahead of us mm. to listen to us and to care about us and to act with us at the center, we now are and soon are going to have that obligation to mm. the generations that come after us. And mm. so we have to hold that and take that obligation and that responsibility seriously. I love that, man. This has been freaking amazing. And before we like close, we got to do a round of, I got to ask my co-host here, man. You guys got any parting words for Katie before we, we close out? What do, what do you guys You're think? You're an inspiration and force. And um, we'll see you on the field of service. Mm. Mm. Well said. Rain. Well said, Katie. You know, I've known you for a while. We've had some really in-depth conversations over the years. and But every time I hear you, it just, mm. it really lights mm. up my heart, gives me uh, hope. And uh, I just thank you for the great work that you're doing. And mm. Get through college as quickly as you can so you can uh, get, on with get the real back work. out there. You know, I don't know. Can they give you a, like a one year degree or something? <laughs> Come on, Stanford. What are they doing? Right. <laughs> and Katie, look, I'm just I, I just so I mean, I was really impressed with um, just the clarity of your focus um, and your consistency and your engagement and the love. I mean, I feel the love in your activism mm. and um for me, that that is really such a definitive part of being a successful activist, somebody who's engaged in change, is combining that love with that enthusiasm and that vision. Mm -hmm. And so I, I just want to uh, thank you for sharing so much of yourself. Yeah. I, I think I speak for all three of us here on this show that we are sending you with love um, into whatever endeavors you're getting involved in. And we are praying for you and just can't wait to look at the wonders you were wrought mm -hmm. and we know they are coming so mm -hmm. keep doing what you're doing sister keep Thank the hair you, looking i'm digging the hair keep that charlie angels <laughs> hair popping girl i'm loving it love you and take care thank you so much thank for joining you, us okay thanks katie take care thank katie. you all so much you got it bye-bye <laughs>